We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We services hey trent hi parth you're looking well nice to see you you're too kind to me um i'm really glad we were able to to get this done this intro i mean just barely yeah we're pushing it to the limit by the skin on our teeth i mean you're like uh in order to get this done you had to catch me in a pretty disheveled state and we'll leave it at that we'll leave it it is 11 50 p.m um, Saturday, as of this recording, um, this episode is coming out 8 a.m. Monday or 8 a.m. Sunday tomorrow. Yep. Um, but thankfully, I have edited the interview for this, so just the intro to edit tonight. Perth, it's just like just like high school, we're procrastinating on our homework. You know, yeah. maybe that maybe that maybe that mentality and, never ends. And and Trent, just bear with me here. Like when you're in high school and you're going through puberty, you're just like sometimes it's like you're moody and sometimes you're just like ravenous. Like you just want to eat. And there's just so many updates as to what you've been eating. What does a growing boy need? It's food. And um, I've gained some weight recently, so let's talk about what I've been eating. But first, I wanted to share a text I received from my mom. And it actually has something to do with our last episode, Oppenheimer Part 1 interview with production designer Ruth DeYoung. Wow. Cool. And actually, more specifically, has to do with our intro section, What Have You Been Eating? And I'm just going to read it verbatim. It says, really, Trent? And if, Mom, if you're hearing this, I'm sorry. Um, You stole and ate an entire bag of Sour Patch Kids? I get the doing of the act, but the announcing to the world? Not good. On a more positive note, amazing interview. Good work, guys can't wait for the second half yeah so that so my mom texted me that and um i have no hard feelings about stealing from big business at that well also all due respect to your mother whom i respect very much especially since we the the jaws discussion jaws episode yeah for which she's a great great discussion guest thanks for coming again mom um I I don't I have no I feel no qualms. Yeah, me either, right? Um I I feel like of all the horrible things I've uh, admitted to doing on this podcast. Yeah, I'm shocked please, that's the one that got you. Um but you know, maybe maybe it's for the best that that's the one that did. Anyways, uh Trent, what have you been eating? Well, Trent, explain your situation right now. Uh I'm in Pennsylvania working on uh, a TV, a true crime show. Um and I found that that unlike on like regular film shoots like when you rap when you're like out, when you're on the road like everyone likes to drink which is super cool and not something that I'm used to. But we went out for Mexican food and mar- margaritas and um Pacificos were consumed delaying the start of this pod. Parses you know inconvenience directly. Um, and it's so the last thing that lot, the last thing I ate was the delicious burrito from there. Um, and then afterwards we get back to the hotel and we're sitting in the, we're standing in the parking lot and I get that feeling like, yeah, I'm probably going to throw up. 
But I was like, I've had such a good night with all these people, and I really don't want to cause a fuss. So just mid-sentence, I just, like, walked away. I uh, threw up in some flowers, like a lot, oh like everything. And then I walked back, I wiped wiped off my mouth, and no one knew the difference. And I didn't have to ruin the night for everyone or make anyone think that it was a big deal. Wow. So the last thing I ate is also the last thing I threw up, which is the first time in craft services history. Which Yeah, I mean, it, it exited your body. At a speed faster than that which it entered. Mm. Uh, yes. Uh, what about you? My grandparents and my cousin arrived here today. My cousin, Ira, who also attends Rutgers. This story um, seems like it's going to be less X-rated than mine. Uh, significantly. And um, because my cousin is coming over, um, we got sushi from Sushi Palace in Somerville. And friend of the show, Sophia Alexis, uh, joined us. Wait, is that the same person from all the Mission Impossible discussions? All the Mission Impossible discussions, the Gone Girl discussion. She gave a 2 out of 10. Go listen to it to find out why. Um, Several countless intros. Um, Yeah, she's just been a good friend of the pod. Parth, have you noticed that everything we say on the pod at this point is something we've said in an episode prior, and now the joke is just that we keep saying it? Cue the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week we are continuing our Ruth DeFun interview. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. This is part two of our Oppenheimer interview. Uh, she talks about a lot of cool stuff in here. All right. Um, what did she talk about, Parth? Break it down. Uh, she talks about Los Alamos, the interrogation space. Um, lots of stuff for discussions with Hoyta Van Hoytema. Um, so maybe I'm just going to allow the listeners to just partake in part two. You're just going to let it speak for, you're just going to let it speak for itself. Yes. And then at the end, some exciting news for the craft services podcast. Apparently some exciting news that Trent's here Unbeknownst for the first to time Trent. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Who's holding on to the pod for dear life. Just, you know, just seeing, you know. Taking one, one, one day at a time. And let's uh, cue, cue the interview. So talking a little bit about like the Strauss-ness of it all, um, this movie invented IMAX black and white um, mm. and sort of does how did, if at all, black and white inform the production design? Like, does that affect it uh, as opposed to being in color? Uh, yes. Yes and no. I mean, I think, for instance, you see that ballroom in color and you see it in black and white. Um, I think there's, there's, but we weren't overly weird. I mean, I've definitely, I've done black and white with David Lynch. Um and it's like, oh, you know, let's make this 
we're shooting this all in black and white. So that can be purple and magenta and green because you get the variations of grays, the contrast, what, but in our case, no, we, we played it. We played it very honestly. So we kept the colors, uh, all period appropriate. What they were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so as you're fading in and out, because, um, so I know, and I, but you just want rich whites and rich blacks and, and, um, you know, Chris and Hoyta were, were not afraid of white, 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 which a lot of cinematographers are like, I need this tea stained or I need this really knocked back, but they wanted snow bright white. It was, it was, it was incredible. It was wonderful. It was very, I'm like, see, you can shoot this and it can look incredible. Um, and I learned a lot from Hoyta about that on Nope too, just when we were, you know, the exterior of the house was um, the initial color I had originally painted. It was sort of a subdued white and Chris, I mean, um, uh, Hoyta brought Jordan out and he, you know, he's like this, I, we need to pump this house needs to be whiter. And I'm thinking, what? He's like, Ruthie, the IMAX, it can, they can take it and it will only look, it will only pop and they be more vibrant and just the saturation that, you know, the film as opposed to digital. And, um, so that was, that was a beautiful thing to just kind of, uh, it it was very freeing because there was a lot of white throughout Oppenheimer. I mean, the director's house in at IAS and then all of the exterior, you know, all of those very white was a very, um, just laboratories. Right. And you're just seeing a lot of white, um, and we were able to punch it up, um, which was which was great. I guess speaking on white, there's also um, lots of times in the movie where it gets kind of in Oppenheimer's head, and the there's like bright lights, like for example, in the room where he's being interrogated. And was that sort of something you had to account for, or was that sort of that's like Hoyta and his lighting stuff is going to be on his end? Hoyta and his lighting. Also, it was a combination of um, special effects and visual effects. So Scott Fisher, who headed up um, special effects, and Andrew Jackson, who did visual effects, because what we did on this entire film was everything in camera. We did all the visual effects were filmed, photographed. Um, it, it, It was so I think the four of us were constantly working closely together um, in that, but it wasn't, for instance, like the, uh, it's like, oh, because we're doing this lighting effect, you should really paint the wall darker, or brighter. Or what it was, right, we, yeah. we kept everything very, again, just honest and natural to what it was. And then they're, you know, pumping in those, that, that, those flashbacks and all of those, because, you know, early on, um, I think the very first person Chris gave the script to was Andrew Jackson, who was the VFX coordinator and he's worked with andrew on many of his pictures and andrew's just yeah. incredibly talented have you all spoken to him before no we have not but i've, okay. I've noticed his credit over the yes. years yeah. um and he you know the first thing chris said to him was i want to do all of this in camera and how do i how do we explore oppenheimer's emotional just emotionally what he's wrestling with and how do we put that into something and just the the understanding of of the atom splitting and the understanding of this 
whole other world that you and I just don't see on a daily basis, but it, it's what Oppenheimer sees. It's, you know, it's, um, almost this possessiveness of just, you know, how incredibly intelligent on this entirely other level. I mean, it's unbelievable, these physicists and what they've been able to do and understand and it's, it's, it's other dimensional, you know, it's just, and, and how do you put that into a picture and how do you put that into, um, and, and I think Chris just felt, and I completely agree with him that anything done on a computer, computer animated graphics, kind of all of that, it just, it almost dumbs it down. And so he and Andrew got to work immediately. And so early on, I, I did a deep dive with sort of, um, imagery of real life things dealing with really bright lights and explosions and and atoms and you know i did just we did kind of a massive pictorial board that we all studied and had a big meeting about but then it was up to scott and andrew to really build this laboratory essentially full of fish tanks and you know um weird liquids with random viscosities and and floating particles and and silver paint that had flecks in it so and they're pouring i mean it was like quite and i would both just be like man they get to do that all day (laughs) you know just kind of and they had these macro um camera lenses and snorkels that they were putting into the fish tank and filming and it was wild and and then we would watch all of that in dailies along with what we were shooting. And, you know, you could see it in black and white and color and it was incredible. And I just, Chris is such a visionary in that way to demand um, something that most people are like, no, just do it in the computer, you know, or it's going to be so much easier if we don't even fuss with that or, but I, everything that Chris demanded, I mean, even saying, no, I want, you know, Kodak initially was like, you know, we've never developed 65 black and white. It's going to be much thinner. We have to adjust our cameras. And he's like, great, do it. And they're like, oh, it's difficult or it's going to be expensive. And Chris is like, let's before we all the issue, let's and, um, you know, he and he and they did it. And, and he was just set on shooting black and white film and developing not shooting color and developing in black and white you know it was like yes that's all been done before i know what that is but the richness and the pureness and you've probably seen that frame of um killian with with his hat and his cigarette with kind of like a white sheet and that was done super early in prep and i remember we were just all riveted by when that when that went up um on, on the screen we're going Oh my goodness. I mean, we just had never seen anything so beautiful and you could see every pore in his face, not in a bad way, but just unbelievable. And then you're going this and, and Chris was just onto something on every single level. Um, and I felt like he was truly pushing. He didn't let any of us just settle and go, Oh, well, you know, this is difficult or this is hard or anyways. Um, it, 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 it was, that was incredible to, be able to, you know, facilitate and, and push for and, and and just, you know, the end product when you, I went to, when I saw the film for the very first time, and then I've seen it several times since it's just every time there's something else that you're just the layers and the depth and all that is in that. And then to know all of that was done practically in camera. 
and um, it's it's a really I think uh, exciting on on so many levels just as an artist and being able to collaborate with these other artists who there it's just the bar is very high and and it's great to be able to continue to push so was your first time we were going to ask what your first time seeing the movie was like so was it at the premiere or when you're the production designer of an awesome movie do you get to see it before that or was it just like in a normal imax theater or and what was your experience of seeing it all for the first time all laid out i think every director is different on how they they you know have their collaborators but chris is very specific and he likes his collaborators to all watch it and then meet with him after and discuss it. So I got to see it pretty, I got to see it when it was finished. The music wasn't entirely finished. Um, I want to say most all of the visual effects were completed. Um, I saw it at universal at city walk in the IMAX. Um, so it, on, a, on a proper screen um, in the way Chris intended it to be, see, it intends it to be seen. And it was, um, I didn't know what to expect because obviously, you know, the script and, but we've done, you know, you're, you're shooting so fast. Um, it's very intense. You're kind of all over the place. And then you're seeing all this craziness with the visual effects happen and the special effects. And you, you know what the storyline is. Sure. But I could hardly talk after I saw it that first time I, um, went and met Chris for lunch afterwards at his office. And I was so moved and rocked emotionally because when you're making a film, you don't have time to really get emotional about what you're doing. It's very, um, there's just so much structure. It's almost like the emotion. And because I'm not on set all day, just listening and the actors and I, you're just kind of leapfrogging and in, in, in a constant state of this has to get finished we got to move on to the next this has to get finished. so it's it's um seeing all the emotion that was on the pages and and it 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 was um i think more than anything i was thrilled with how everything looked you know obviously the first time i see it i'm just almost lost in making sure everything our work is it works and it's appropriate and there's no, you know, looking for basically bogeys and things that are just, you know, that I may or may not have been happy with. And the second time I saw it, so that was the first time. And Chris said, don't worry, my agent couldn't speak for like a day and a half after he saw, it. I mean, I think <laughs> it just, I don't know how you guys felt when you first saw it, but what he was wrestling with Oppenheimer emotionally and, and then what, he went through on all those levels was um that rocked me i mean it was very intense and i really the weight and the gravity of the situation and what how there was never any going back i mean just all of that and i think when you read in the history books you can be so um Oh yeah, that was back then. That thing happened. I mean, you just even in school, you know, you it, it doesn't. And then seeing it, um, so but I didn't see it with a complete score. So that's all always an element too that you, you know. Um, it, it, so I, the second time I saw it was at the premiere, um, and that was incredible too because you get to see it with a huge audience, um, and 
complete start to finish. And, um, I got to just more enjoy the film. I wasn't really staring at our, the, our work, the production design work, so to speak. I was more just trying to take in the entirety of it. And, um, that was also very special. And it's amazing for a, a three hour film. I don't know how you guys felt, but I, I mean, I, I just remember I didn't really move. I don't know if you, you know, mostly you end up fidgeting at those, these slow parts. You're kind of like, ah, uh, or you're like looking at your watch going, how much, but with both and, and I've then seen it a couple times since. And it's, I literally just am staring at the screen and cannot, uh, it's, it's incredible because I, you know, and you've probably read a lot of articles and Chris has addressed it, but everyone's like, I can't hear what everyone's saying. And da da da. And Chris is like, yes, I intended it that way. That's life. Like, it's like, I'm not, and he doesn't go in an ADR, you know, um, afterwards. And I think, um, so every time you're picking up a little bit more of, Oh, right. That was that conversation. Um, uh, or that was just a lot of people complained. Like there was, what is it like? Just, they don't catch a lot of what, um, the actors are saying all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you, you kind of don't, especially think about being at a party or something. You're not, you, you know, you don't, you pick up on most of it or some of it or, but you're not. And I, I, I love that he kept that so honest and true to life as well. Like it's sort of like, what did he say? Or what did she say? Or what's, um, and that was again on purpose. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we were, thanks to you, lucky to go to a press screening and, um, people oh, were good. pretty si- pretty silent, um, and, once and- the movie ended. When we saw uh, the screen was absolutely huge. It was my first time seeing a movie on a screen that big. And when the first shot I saw how tall it was, <laughs> the word "whoa" just like <laughs> released from my body. Yeah, it was like a guttural, like did you, not not you... like a choice to say it. Like... No, it's and that's what's so radical about this film is there really is you know it, it it's this moment in time that happened. This this um it it's it's a you know, this obviously character study in Oppenheimer, but yet it, the way Chris has captured it emotionally and physically is just awe-inspiring really is. I think for all of us filmmakers as well, you, you go and you see that and you're just going, I mean, holy shit, you know, it's just like, Oh my gosh. Um, and the way you, the scope, the scale, um, and, you know, one thing that was incredibly cool to watch and experience was how most of the time you think about IMAX and you think about nature shows like IMAX really came into being when it was like, oh, let's do all these like whatever those shows were with that with that narrator. We all um, planet, 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 Earth. planet Earth, planet Earth, David Attenborough. Yes. Thank you. His voice. You can never forget it. But. And it's like, that is what people think of IMAX, right? And instead, Chris and Hoyta are taking this massive IMAX camera and sticking it right in the actor's faces and documenting the entire thing with an IMAX camera, which is like, nobody does that, you know, and not to, and I just think, and, and it takes you on a, it, it puts you right there versus you know, keeping the audience in their seats and, oh, you're over here at arm's length. And you can, yes, of course you can watch my film. Here's my film, but it's over here. And you're not really, but I think with what Chris has done with Oppenheimer is it's just stuck you right there in that room. And it's like, 
Oh my gosh. I mean, think about room 2022. You're just the whole time. Just about to ask about that. (laughs) (laughs) They had to be there for two. I literally said to Chris, because that was one of the very first things I was like, oh, this will absolutely be the one thing we build on stage. He goes, I hate stage. Not going to stage. We're not building this. And I said, oh, but you know, we could, of course you can, your walls can move. We can make it very, he's like, this is, was not a luxurious experience. Nobody's going to be, this is not going to feel luxurious. We're not going to make it luxurious for the filmmakers it's this really narrow, tight room. And I want everybody to feel that way. I want the actors to feel that way. And I said, well, you and Hoyta, the camera, the focus puller, he's like, whatever, we'll figure it out. But yeah, that's the way. And then when we ended up finding that room, I mean, it was so narrow. I remember when, and Hoyta and I are both just always kind of like, yes, no problem. You know, and I remember when (laughs) the crew came and tech scouted it. They're like two weeks in this thing. Um, and Chris is like, is there a problem? Everyone's like, nope, <laughs> no problem. But it was, um, it was, it was, uh, it was incredible, but it, it captured it so purely. I feel like once you start working on movies, you start noticing like, oh, that's a small room. Like yes. that must have sucked to film in. Yes. And I, I think like in film school, they tell you like, uh, you have to think of like your cameras, like the size of a, of a laundry machine essentially like that's how much it's going to be and i can't imagine with an imax camera being in like a real room like that that's that small and cramped yeah no absolutely it was but it was great i mean at the point and that was at the very end of shooting too it was um oh we wrapped in berkeley but that was right before we went to berkeley so it was our last bit so it you know the crew was just rock stars though they handled it so well but it was those were some long days and intense days and they you know obviously they had a, it we had an ac duck going through the the one duck into that room to keep it cool enough but it was um but you know i think it it really did put everybody right there and and those just the actors were so great in that all those scenes and it's so intense and it's so gnarly and you're just watching as as kitty says him get tarred and feathered (laughs) so if you could i'm sure uh in all of i'm sure your oppenheimer experience if you could reduce it down to a single less lesson that you learned either as a production designer or just as a human in earth what what is the one lesson you learned oh wow great question um what is the one lesson I learned? I think, oof, um, I think in general, what I took away from the shoot, Chris's perseverance and um, his dedication to what he had his mind set on and not allowing the answer to be a no or and kind of what we were up against with um, with budget and timeline and what you realize you can actually do within those constraints. And I think it was the most it was the most freeing in a way to not have all the money in the world, to not have all the options in the world, to not say, yes, we can go to every single location Oppenheimer lived, worked, etc., but to be to to be crunched in a way to rethink that um, 
I, how am I trying to say this? I, I guess what was, was an incredible feat in its own right. And I think it, it sort of restored that notion. I mean, this is the only project that I've ever worked on that has been, um, you know, the choice to, the choice to make this almost in the most analog way possible is what we did. And I think there, I guess, I don't know if it's a lesson as much as it just restored my, my passion for saying, Oh, I I guess the naysayers in the world. I mean, I, I really think about just the general projects with producers and studios and, and things when you're meeting with directors and productions and it's like, oh, we want to do this film, but we're going to do all that in CGI and we're just going to set extend your sets and we're going to, you know, it, it, it just goes, no. oh, okay, that that's one way to do it, but you can also do it. And it doesn't, you know, I think everybody thinks Christopher Nolan and he's got all the money in the world. It's like, but he doesn't, he's very frugal, in, but it, it, not to, because he knows he's, I guess he's incredibly responsible to the craft and to, you know, when he said, I'm setting out to make this period film for a hundred million dollars, it, it isn't like, oh shoot, you know what? We actually need 130. Let me go back to the studio and ask for 30 more million dollars. It's like, no, then we need to rethink how we need to do this, but we still need to include all of these seats or all of the, you know, the entire script. And for instance, Chris, did you know he he was able to shoot it in 57 days which saved us a ton of money versus a luxurious 80 to 100 days you know and and he jammed and every day you have a company on payroll is you know um just it's it's very expensive so i think there were so many ways that watching he um and his producing partner emma and and Hoita and then all of the departments own that responsibility as well. I think, I don't know if it's so much of a lesson, but as a, as a validation of the, yes, it can absolutely be done, but you need to take responsibility. And um, I think there was freedom in that, if that makes sense. And, and, um, and, you know, most people, the number one thing producers will tell you is like, we can't shoot on film. That's so expensive. It's like, sure, it's expensive, but why do you need, you know, 35 director's chairs in a video village? I, we didn't even have a video village. What do you need a video village for? If anybody is standing around on set and they don't belong here. I mean, it's just sort of, there were so many areas that you look at where budgets it's like, where is the money going then? And what is it going to? How many trailers? How many personal vehicles? How many, you know, private drivers and this and that? And it's like all of that goes into the final picture because, you know, the allotment of. So that was just, um, it, it, I loved kind of peeling back and seeing how these this film was made and how we were able to make it. And I mean, I think ultimately, you know, there's, we tried to make it feel as big and large as possible. And someone, you know, it beyond the, the means that we had. And I think we were able to do that and be incredibly smart about it. But you had, you know, this director at the helm that was pushing for that, demanding that. 
and it just proves you can do it. I don't know if you saw either part or I's face when he said that it was shot in 57 days, but my jaw was like, I, sorry, it's just, that's ridiculous. Yeah. As in ridiculously efficient and impressive. Incredibly efficient. And originally, I remember when we were in our massive budget crunch in prep, I think, I think he had penned out or, you know, Nilo, the AD or however it worked, had penned out, you know, somewhere between a 75 to 85 day shoot, which seemed very honest and, and, and based in reality and et cetera. And then when it, between wardrobe and props and art department and IMAX, and it's like, well, we have, we have this, we've got this fiscal thing we have to solve. (laughs) And I remember Chris is like, I'm going to go do some homework and, and I, I wasn't sure what that homework was. And then <laughs> he came back and I was like, I'm going to shoot in 55 days. And I was like, what? <laughs> what director comes back and says, you can have my days back. You know, no one, to, I've yeah. never, I'm sorry. I've never seen that. All I see directors go is like, I need more days. We need more days. And and that cannot, it's not even their fault necessarily. It, it can be, you know, from just issues that come up and you get, like an actor gets sick and you lose them for a week and you still have to whatever. But in this case, um, it, it, it helped all of the departments and enabled each department to get it. But then each department is held responsible. There's no waste within that department at all. And I think when you see a director show up and do their homework, it's like, I remember going just through my entire budget in detail Nope, I don't need this art director anymore. Nope. And it, because you're going, well, then I can't sit here and have just this, you know, these line items that it's sort of like, yeah, well, that's that makes it a lot easier. Anyways. Before we start to wrap up, I just wanted to ask about um, the Trinity test sequence and just maybe like watch it. Because obviously, I mean, Nolan has talked a lot about that being the showstopper in the mm-hmm. movie scene and just sort of seeing your work on screen and IMAX like that scene specifically what that was like because that was um again at the screening you could sort of tell people were like oh okay uh that's yeah. pretty amazing something important is happening yeah <laughs> we're watching yeah, it was, cinema it's very palpable right um I think, I mean, from my standpoint it was you know we had the bunker we it was nailing base camp um, and the bunkers and that whole area. And, uh, that was tricky because we were out in the middle of nowhere. You needed to hide our actual physical base camp somewhere because he's doing those aerial shots and you've got the massive tower, but you can't be, you can't have the bunker in, in, in the reality of where their bunker was, where they were going to push the button where Oppenheimer was with the goggles through the glass. I mean, we built all of that exactly as his real bunker was. Um, we just weren't in real life as actually far. I mean, they were miles apart, right? So it's, it's, we cheated that, um, Scott Fisher did all of those explosions, um, uh, special effects practically. And, uh, so that was incredible. And just Chris's choice to withhold, you know, this, the sound stops, I mean, just the way the buildup of that entire and, and then Hoyta capturing that on camera. And I think it was just a, it was a beautiful example of how all of the departments, everybody 
was on point with, with what they needed to be on point with, um, to, I think, take you right there to that moment. And then the way Chris outlined it all with, you know, from, from the music to the production design, to the cinematography, to the special effects, it was just, and, and I think we all knew what happened, right? We knew it was successful. Um, history already told us that but how do you still how do you still make that terrifying (laughs) and um and it is pretty incredible to think that those people really weren't quite sure what would happen and would they be standing after that button was hit you know would they still physically be there in some form or another and i think that's that was you. St- you, I still felt that like for them, and, and I don't know. At, um, so I don't know if I answered that your question correctly. No, but, that, that was but awesome. Okay. Parth, I don't know if you think it's time for the Big Kahuna final question. Uh, oh, it's boy. it's time. Yeah. <laughs> the the Big Kahuna final question is uh, someone you faced before, and that is, uh, what is the last great film you watched? Um, it could be a rewatch or a first time viewing. Oh man, you guys! Way to put me on the spot. Um, Every everyone hates this question, <laughs> but it must I'm be just, done. What is the last great film I watched? Well, you know, I um, Chris had me watch Mirror in when we were in prep, and that that I I hadn't um, seen Mirror before. Have you guys seen Mirror? That no. Was, um, uh, what is that? I'm looking it up as we speak. <laughs> And I just typed in mirror and it's just a bunch of physical mirrors. <laughs> I need to put mirror move me. Yes. And it was, we were, we were looking at it. I, I don't know if, I feel like he and Hoyta had maybe used that as a reference previously, but we were looking at that initially. Um, just, I mean, it's a beautiful film. It was shot on, it was shot on film, but the inner workings of the T section, there was just some, some things within that film that uh, they all, I want to say this was all shot on location. I don't know if it was Russia or um, did you find it? I did. Is it the 1975 Criterion from uh, uh, Tarkovsky? Yes. I I think a clip of this was shown in a class of ours at some point. I recognize this uh, frame of her sitting on the fence. And there was a great, um, there's just several just great moments from that film, but her walking through these long white tunnels, um, just different things. But that was, but that I was riveted and I went back and watched it a couple times after Chris showed it to me, um, because it was, yeah, beautiful. Wow. So a Christopher yeah. Nolan recommendation. Yeah. Not bad. Um, yeah, you guys will enjoy it. And I love that both of you haven't seen it, so there you go. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Ruth the Young, production designer of such films as Manchester by the Sea, Twin Peaks The Return, Nope, and of course Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which you should see in theaters on the biggest screen possible if you have not already. Uh, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your time. Thank you both so much. It's wonderful to see you again. You haven't aged a day. <laughs> <laughs> thank you and you either hopefully we'll see you down the road on on for something else so hopefully all the best Absolutely. 
after the next cool movie you do. Yes. <laughs> I know, when those strikes end. We'll see. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh, yeah. man. But um, you guys so- take care, and thank you. It's oh. so easy to um, love Parth. I don't know that I. Huh. Parth Marate in the moonlight. Okay. What a great interview. That, I can yeah. abide by that. Br- yeah. Brought it home. Brought yes, it home. If what, a great inter- what a great interview. Yes. I hope Ruth Young doesn't mind that that's how we brought it home, but. Um, I hope her or her representation is fortunate enough to not listen to this interview. It's in there. I mean, listen to the parts surrounding this interview. The interview part was very sanctioned and uh, pretty tame. I think, yeah, totally fine. Um, But they lived it. They did. Yes. Um, Like us. We were there, too. Yes. And the audience, I'm sure, had to live through it, too. And they're here now with us at the end of the episode to the lucky few who've stuck around. Part. Do you want to know oh, some fun, the, some exciting news? Could it have anything to do with what our episode is going to be? Like, what movie we're going to cover after Oppenheimer? Because, frankly, it is at not. Time, oh, wow. Because I don't even know the answer to that question. But I'm curious um, what you're going to say. So, Trent, part one of our interview with Ruth DeYoung um, was featured in an article someone wrote up. Um, now it's not a big deal necessarily. You do, do you know, like comic book reporting or something? It's like CBR. Hold on. Let me send it to you. Yeah, brother. Oh my gosh. I mean, for the listeners at home, my mouth was agape, um, because I have no idea what's about to be. How'd you find out about this? Uh, they tagged us on Twitter on our Twitter account when it happened. Is it, is it about the pop? Um, I'm about to look at it. Is it about the pod at large? Oppenheimer production designer worried about backlash over historical inaccuracy. Well, I'm amazed that that's what are, are we just like mentioned? Yeah. They say that like in the, uh, on the craft services podcast, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and this is like a real website. At least it seems like it. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. And then is this, this is like, this is the is tweet the- of how I found out. And it's like full interview on craft services. Oh yeah, is it getting any traction? Do people care? No, not many, but um you know, it's cool. But some? Yeah. Well, um, we got we got an article written up about us, which or I mean, about something we No, made. no, that No, that's great news. I mean, I thought you were just going to say that our Ruth Young interview was getting a few more listeners than we usually get, which I would have been happy about. But Which I guess is it is. News. Yeah. I, um, I haven't looked at that in a long time. Yeah, it, it's just upsetting. Um, but, Trent, the interview for Oppenheimer is over. So is that just like the end of all Oppenheimer talk on craft services? Oh, Parth, that couldn't be further from the truth. Want to know why? Why? Feeling chatty. Yeah? Like, and I don't just want to sit around and have a little chat, like, I want a discussion. Well, I've got good news for you, folks. Um, Oppenheimer discussion. I'm thinking it's coming out. Um, I, I'm I'm thinking. I'm thinking by next week, 
I'll have, I guess, into my busy schedule, I'll have to squeeze a second IMAX Oppenheim reviewing, uh, unless Blue Beetle has occupied the IMAX theaters. Um, um, it has and- occupied... I saw Blue Beetle in IMAX. It's a fun movie. I have nothing against it other Did than the fact Did you call it fun or, 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 or fine? Fun. Did- F-U-N. Okay. How many stars yeah. were given? Three and a half. And a heart. Mm. But I, I'm partial to superhero origin like when they're well done and i thought this was all right but um yeah trent and i we're going to be discussing oppenheimer um it's going to be cool i'm excited i'm excited to be cool yeah we haven't uh talked about a movie together in like over a month maybe two the the last one it was while i was in england and wow, we over talking. two months, because I did seven Mission Impossibles and one Great Gardens with your very own Jordan Sikafus. So eight weeks. Yeah, Parth, you've been very busy, but we did discuss Babylon. Um, Whoa, now that is like so th- Doesn't long that feel, ago. feel like an eternity ago? Yeah. Um, but yes, thank you so much to Ruth DeYoung talking with us, getting us a few clicks um, on the internet. Um, but more importantly all joking for being aside, a gracious uh, yes, guest... I, and very informative. Yes, Parth, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, all joking aside, Ruth DeYoung and your team, you're all awesome. Thanks for yes, thank you to the with. Universal team for helping us uh, get this interview and to go to a press screening for it. Yes. Oh, Parth, wasn't that the best? Oh, and you, that that reminds me of what I was going to say at, about why I'm excited for the Oppenheimer interview. And I think since... N- before Oppenheimer, the last movie was probably Nope, that I was, like, in the theaters, and I was like, this is, like, a pre- I mean, they're both spectacle movies, but I was like, this is pretty pretty stunning, and mm. so uh, I'm excited to talk Oppenheimer. I'm excited yeah. to discuss it with you as well. Um, yeah, so next week, Oppenheimer, and then after that, we have some cool stuff planned, but we're not going to tell you just yet. All these returning guests... They can't stay away. Part that's the thing about these. No, you haven't seen Dazed and Confused, right? I can't even make this joke. You're so lame. Is it going to be that's, like the high school line or high school that's girls? The thing, that's the thing about these podcasting girls. Pod. We get older, and the pod stays the same age. <laughs> that's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't it make sense, even though it's not true? Think about it. Think about it. Yeah, so thank you so much, Ruth Young. <laughs> um, listeners at home, look for the Oppenheimer discussion coming out next week. Trent is going to have to find not just the time to watch Oppenheimer, but the time to discuss it while PAing full-time. While the odds are statistically stacked against us. But life finds a way. Jurassic Park Sorry, 2. Uh, life uh, finds, uh, a way. Yeah. finds a way. Jurassic Park 2 was on TV last night. It ain't that good, but it's fine. It's watchable. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I think I think we should go out on that note. Yeah. Um, we'll see you next week, guys. <laughs>